Welcome to Understanding the Bible with Pastor Stephen. This is episode 35. We are finishing up the book of Revelation with chapter 21 and 22. Last time we covered Revelation 19, which is after the seventh vile judgment of chapter 16. It was the Battle of Armageddon, the Marriage Supper of the Lamb. And then chapter 20 was the two resurrections, the thousand-year reign of Christ, Satan loosed for a season, his final defeat, and the great white throne judgment. Chapter 21 and 22 is about the new heaven and the new earth. So there's a lot of misunderstanding about that. I think the scripture is pretty clear on this, but just to preface this up front, there are some theologians that teach that this is eternity, not the thousand year reign of Christ. Regardless, the point of chapter 21 and 22 is that there will be peace and Jesus Christ is reigning. So let's look at some of the ancient prophecies first in the book of Isaiah that talk about the new heaven and new earth. Isaiah chapter 11, you'd have to read the whole thing. There's really a lot in there, but I wanted to bring out two things about this. Uh, Isaiah 11 verse 4 says, But with righteousness shall he judge the poor and reprove with equity for the meek of the earth, and he shall smite the earth with the rod of his mouth. So that's a reference to Revelation, how Jesus is going to reign with a rod of iron. And that just speaks to his justice that there are laws, and when you break the law, there will be swift justice. And then it continues, and with the breath of his lips shall he slay the wicked. This is clearly not in heaven, because there won't be wicked in heaven that God is going to kill, okay? So it's still on the earth, very clearly, is what he's talking about here in Isaiah chapter 11. The other thing I wanted to point out is verse 6, the wolf also shall dwell with the lamb. So there's a misconception. A lot of people talk about the lion will lay down with the lamb, and that's nowhere in Scripture. It's actually the wolf will lay down with the lamb. Not a big deal. It's still a carnivorous animal that is obviously no longer eating meat, okay? I would say this is um, taking us back to a Garden of Eden type state. And then it continues in verse 6, And the leopard shall lie down with the kid, and the calf and the young lion and the fatling together, and a little child shall lead them. Now, if you want some more details, like I said, read chapter 11 in its entirety. But let's go to Isaiah 65, starting in verse 17. It says, For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former shall not be remembered nor come into mind. So remember, we're talking about the thousand-year reign of Christ and the previous earth with all of its wars and earthquakes and problems and famines and disease will not come to mind. All right, verse 18. But be ye glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem a rejoicing and her people a joy. And I will rejoice in Jerusalem and joy in my people. And the voice of weeping shall be no more heard in her, nor the voice of crying. Now, verse 20. There shall be no more thence an infant of days, nor an old man that hath not filled his days. For the child shall die a hundred years old, but the sinner being a hundred years old shall be accursed. So death will still happen. So again, clearly not speaking about heaven because there's no death in heaven. But a hundred years old will seem as if you're a young child. We're talking about a thousand year reign of Christ. Remember, we discussed in previous episodes that this is going to be when 
those who are alive at the end of the tribulation period will receive their resurrected bodies when we go to meet the Lord in the air. You're not going to die. You're going to continue for another thousand years if you're alive at that time. And don't forget in Revelation 20 verse 4, it says those who were beheaded during the seven year tribulation will be resurrected and shall live and reign as judges and kings with Christ during the thousand years. So we have two groups of people, those who were dead Christians and those who were alive at the end here that are going to live an additional thousand years. Then you have all the people, remember the armies of Armageddon came and the, the kings, the parliaments, the, the princes of the earth at that time that sent these armies are still there. The nations that the armies were drawn from, you know, if you had slaves or conscripts or whatever that made up the 200 million man army at the Battle of Armageddon, well, they took those from the populations of the different countries of the earth, right? So those populations are still there. Now you have this thousand year reign of Christ and you have these people growing up, giving birth, dying. All right. So what he's saying here is there's going to be all these people that are upwards of a thousand years old and more. So when someone is born and dies at a hundred years, they will seem but a small child. Now look at this in verse 21 and they shall build houses and inhabit them and they shall plant vineyards and eat the fruit of them. They shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. What happens right now with governments of the world? You work, 30% of your income is gone in taxes. You go buy food, you pay 10% of your income on that. Then you go back to your house that you paid for and you pay taxes yearly on that, right? That's America anyways. Well, he's saying right here, you're not going to build a house and someone else take it from you. You're not going to plant food and someone else take 30% of your crops. Continuing in verse 22, he says, For as the days of a tree are the days of my people, and mine elect shall long enjoy the work of their hands. We will live long like a tree, hundreds of years, and you will enjoy the fruits of your labor and you will not have to give it to others. Verse 23, they shall not labor in vain, nor bring forth for trouble. For they are the seed of the blessed of the Lord and their offspring with them. And it shall come to pass that before they call, I will answer. And while they are yet speaking, I will hear. So here's Jesus on the throne in Jerusalem. And when you need him, when you call to talk to him, when you pray to him, while you are yet speaking, he answers. This is going to be the most awesome time to be a believer ever. You will have your prayers answered when you pray them. And then verse 25, the wolf and the lamb shall feed together and the lion shall eat straw like the ox and dust shall be the serpent's meat. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my mountains, saith the Lord. So here we're back to similar to the Garden of Eden. Okay. The animals no longer bite and destroy and kill. You don't have to be afraid of animals. There won't be the taxation. You will work and you will get to keep the things that you work and you will live a long blessed life and you will be able to talk to God. It's amazing. So those are the prophecies, the ancient prophecies, right? Now we get to Revelation 21 where he's saying, okay, this is it. It's happening. 
So Revelation 21, verse 1, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. Now, if we look at the Greek here, the word new heaven and new earth is kainos, which means a freshness or regenerate. Now, a form of that word is translated new. All right, so the English is not precise here. You have to go back to the original words. So he's saying there is a regenerated heaven, a regenerated earth. For the first heaven and first earth were passed away. Well, passed away is perikamahi, which is to go away, perish, or past. It doesn't necessarily mean extinguished or, or gone forever. It just means you're not dealing with that old earth, that old heavens anymore. It's in the past. Now you have a regenerated one. Here's my speculation on this. If there are nuclear wars and earthquakes and meteorites striking the earth and the smoke going up to where the sun is covered in ashes and there is darkness over the land because of all the destruction and the burning and there's no more greenery because remember one of the judgments is a third of everything green is destroyed or burned up on the earth. And then remember and elsewhere in the Bible, it says the earth will be destroyed by fire. So all of the judgments of tribulation with the meteorites and the fire from heaven and possibly the nuclear wars based on the great heat and things that are talked about in Revelation, the earth is going to be horrible to live in. My idea, what I think this is, is during those 75 days of Daniel that we talked about last time, that in addition to the cleanup of the 200 million man army that is dead, the rotting carcasses and flesh of millions of people, the earth is, is not fit to live in. I believe that God actually remakes the earth, terraforms it, if you will, changes everything and makes it like the Garden of Eden. Then he has his thousand year reign and it's a beautiful place again. So it regenerated a fresh, a new heaven and earth. And when you talk about heaven in the Bible, remember the word for heaven, there's three different types of heavens. You have the heaven, which is the sky. All right. The sky, which is where the birds fly. That's called heaven in the Bible. That's the first heaven. Then you have the second heaven, which is space. That's where the stars are. So when the stars fall from heaven, it's talking about space. Okay. That's the second heaven. And then you have the third heaven. That is heaven where God is, where the throne of God is, where he reigns right now, currently. Okay. So it's not saying that heaven is remade here, as far as you and I understand it. It's talking about our atmosphere, our earth and space. So the universe is rebuilt. Now let's go back to Revelation and look at verse 2. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them. And they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, Neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. That's certainly an argument for remaking the earth and terraforming it into a worldwide Garden of Eden after nuclear war, right? And then this is also where you get 
the idea where people say that this is heaven because it says there will be no more death. I've talked about this before. If you're a prophet standing in your time on a hilltop and you look across the valley of time and here currently John was seeing 2000, at least 2000 years into the future to our present age, if this is when it all happens, right? So 2000 years, he's looking to a hill where God is showing him the future, right? 2000 years is a long time to see beyond that, that there is also after another thousand year reign of Christ, there is an eternity with the same throne of God, new Jerusalem and the saints of God living there. I could see him putting these things together and just talking about it as a far off distant future. And that may be why there's some confusion with people about whether or not he's talking about the thousand year reign of Christ or eternity in heaven. Anyways, and he said unto me, right, for these words are true and faithful. And he said unto me, it is done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. People are thirsty for the water of life. Jesus Christ and Jesus will give it to them freely during the thousand year reign of Christ. There are still people that need to come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And God says he's the water of life and he will give freely to these people. He that overcometh shall inherit all things. Well, what are you going to overcome if you're in heaven, if it's perfect and everything is fine? Well, it's not, perfect. There's still people with a sin nature. People will still be able to choose. So if you overcome and you choose God, verse seven, and I will be his God and he shall be my son. But the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake, which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. So you will still have those who are fearful, unbelieving, sinful people who will choose not to follow Jesus. And the second death hasn't happened yet. So he's very clearly talking about these things that are going to happen with this new Jerusalem coming down during the thousand year reign of Christ. And then he's throwing in there, you know, hey, in the future from that future, there's going to be no more death, no more crying. No more pain. Everything will change. Now we get to the description of this new Jerusalem for the throne of Christ and the thousand year reign. Verse nine. And there came unto me one of the seven angels, which had the seven vials full of the seven last plagues and talked with me saying, come hither. I will show thee the bride, the lamb's wife. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me that great city, the holy Jerusalem descending out of heaven from God having the glory of God, and her light was like unto a stone most precious, even like a jasper stone, clear as crystal, and had a wall great and high, and had twelve gates, and at the gates twelve angels, and names written thereon, which are the names of the twelve tribes of the children of Israel. Just to clarify, this is not symbolism. There are a lot of theologians who have written about this uh, New Jerusalem and they want to symbolize everything about it, like the different stones mean something different. And it's about the church of Christ and, and it's not about an actual city. 
don't fall into that trap. This is just like when God told them how to build the tabernacle and the Holy of Holies for his spirit to be there and actually talk to Moses when they were wandering in the wilderness. These are very specific things because this is precisely what Jesus said he was going to do. He is going away to prepare a place for us. This is a real place that is coming down for Jesus to reign on the new earth, just like he promised. Do not spiritualize this and symbolize this and say that God didn't really mean what he said. Back to the description. So, 12 gates, and at the gates 12 angels, and names written thereon, which are the names of the 12 tribes of the children of Israel. On the east three gates, on the north three gates, on the south three gates, and on the west three gates. And the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and in them the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. And he that talked with me had a golden reed to measure the city and the gates thereof and the wall thereof. And the city lieth four square, and the length is as large as the breadth. And he measured the city with the reed 12,000 furlongs. The length and the breadth and the height of it are equal. This is where it gets interesting. 12,000 furlongs is approximately 1,500 miles for the length and the width and the height. It's like a cube, a giant cube city. Don't ask me how that's possible, okay? That's clearly God doing it. Now, I, I have no understanding of the physics of this or of how it's going to sit on the earth and God's going to rule from it, or maybe it will hang above the earth. I have no idea. The Bible is not clear on that, but the Bible does clearly say how big it is and what it's made of. So either you believe the Bible or you don't. And if you choose not to believe this portion of the Bible, then you can't believe any of it. And I've covered that before as well. The Bible is inerrant. It is incapable of being wrong. So this is going to be huge, right? Now, here's the thing that we're forgetting. Verse 1, it says there is no more sea. Now, you think of how much of the earth is covered in oceans. If there is no more ocean and it's all land in this new earth, then 1,500 miles is nothing. It's quite possible that it sits there as New Jerusalem and it's 1,500 miles because there's no ocean. So there's a lot of stuff going on here physically on this earth that we don't understand or is clearly going to be miraculous that you're just going to have to believe the Bible on this. And then when it happens, you'll be able to see it and be like, oh, yeah, I remember reading about it. OK, I don't pretend to have all the answers and be able to explain away miracles. There are miracles that can't be explained. And then there are things that God does through the natural processes of the earth that can be explained. Well, this is not one of those, okay? So that's how big this city is. And then he measured the wall thereof, 144 cubits, according to the measure of a man that is of the angel. And if you measure that out, a cubit is about 18 inches. And if that's the unit of measure it's using versus the Egyptian 21 inches, and I don't know what the reference is to here at the end there of the angel, as opposed to according to the measure of a man. Well, men have used a cubit to be 18 inches. So that means the wall is 216 feet thick. Pretty crazy. 
the building of the wall of it was of jasper, and the city was pure gold, like unto clear glass. And the foundations of the wall of the city were garnished with all manner of precious stones. The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third a chalcedony, the fourth an emerald, the fifth sardonyx, the sixth sardius, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth a topaz, the tenth a chrysoprasus, the eleventh a jacinth, the twelfth an amethyst. And the twelve gates were twelve pearls. Every several gate was of one pearl. And the street of the city was pure gold, as it were transparent glass. Again, don't try and symbolize this. If it says a gate that you could walk through is big enough as one pearl, then God made a pearl big enough to carve a gate out of. It doesn't mean that God had to go find twelve oysters that were so big that their pearls could be used to make a gate. No, it just says God made a gate out of a pearl. God created the oysters. He can create a pearl, right? And then the street of the city is pure gold. And this is what we always hear all the time. The city of, uh, you know, the streets of heaven are paved with gold. Well, no, it's the streets of the new Jerusalem that comes down out of heaven is pure gold. So this is not even heaven. We're just describing the city on earth that Jesus rules from. And I saw no temple therein, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple of it. And the city had no need of the sun, neither of the moon, to shine in it, for the glory of God did lighten it, and the Lamb is the light thereof. And the nations of them which are saved shall walk in the light of it, and the kings of the earth do bring their glory and honor into it. And the gates of it shall not be shut at all by day, for there shall be no night there, and they shall bring the glory and honor of the nations into it. So it's not saying that he's ceased the rotation of the earth and the sun and, and the orbits of the planets. It's saying in that city, because Jesus resides there, his glory keeps it lit all the time. Verse 26, and they shall bring the glory and honor of the nations into it. And there shall in no wise enter into it anything that defileth, neither whatsoever worketh abomination or maketh a lie, but they which are written in the Lamb's book of life. Boom. That is proof positive that this is during the thousand-year reign of Christ. If this was heaven, why would God have to say that nothing can enter it that will defile or work an abomination or lie? Why would he have to say there at the end, nobody can enter it unless they're written in the Lamb's book of life, if this was heaven? This is something for the believers in Christ. Now, you think about this during the thousand-year reign of Christ. What does that mean? To all the people who refuse to put their faith in Jesus Christ, they see him as a dictator that rules with a rod of iron and has some weird special powers that he can instantly appear places and put people to death. And, and he has cruel punishments because he has the death penalty for murder and things like that, as opposed to letting you rot in prison for the rest of your life. What do you think these people are going to do during that thousand years there's going to be a revolt. There's going to be people spreading insurrection against Jesus Christ. There's going to be new blood, new people who are born during this time period who did not see the battle of Armageddon, who do not believe that this guy is God, who never get to go into the new Jerusalem. 
They cannot enter the city because they are not believers and they're going to resent that and they're going to hate the people that get to do that and they don't. That's why you have the battle of Gog and Magog at the end after Satan is loosed for a season. All of these people will be gathered together by Satan to come against God one more time. All right, and that takes us to chapter 22, verse 1. And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb, proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb, in the midst of the street of it, and on either side of the river was there the tree of life, which bare twelve manner of fruits, and yielded her fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations, and there shall be no more curse. But the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. And they shall see his face, and his name shall be in their foreheads. We've talked about that before as well. And there shall be no night there, and they need no candle, neither light of the sun. For the Lord God giveth them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. And he said unto me, These sayings are faithful and true. Remember, this is the angel who had one of the seven vials. And the Lord God of the holy prophets sent his angels to show unto his servants the things which must surely be done. Behold, I come quickly. Blessed is he that keepeth the sayings of the prophecy of this book. And I, John, saw these things and heard them. And when I had heard and seen, I fell down to worship before the feet of the angel, which showed me these things. Then saith he unto me, See thou do it not, for I am thy fellow servant. There you go. He's just an angel, a messenger of God. And of thy brethren the prophets, and of them which keep the sayings of this book, worship God. And he saith unto me, Seal not the sayings of the prophecy of this book, for the time is at hand. He that is unjust, let him be unjust still. And he which is filthy, let him be filthy still. And he that is righteous, let him be righteous still. And he that is holy, let him be holy still. And behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me, to give every man according as his work shall be. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Blessed are they that do his commandments, that they may have right to the tree of life and may enter in through the gates into the city for without are dogs and sorcerers and whoremongers and murderers and idolaters and whosoever loveth and maketh a lie. And there you go. Once again, how is that supposed to be heaven? If you're entering into a gate into the city and outside are all these evil people. Verse 16. I, Jesus, have sent mine angel to testify unto you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright and morning star. And there you go. If you had any doubt about the root of David and what it means about the root of David uh, ruling on the throne forever, right here Jesus says it. And the spirit and the bride say, Come, and let him that heareth say, Come, and let him that is a thirst come, and whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. For I testify unto every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book, if any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. And if any man shall take away from the words of the prophecy of this book, God shall take away his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city and from the things which are written in this book. He which testifieth these things says, Surely I come quickly. Amen. Even so, come Lord Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. The purpose of Revelation is to provide hope for the future, to give you something to testify to unbelievers about, and to provide a prophecy for them 
so that unbelievers can see when the end is coming that it is from God, that it is judgment from God, and it gives them a second chance to see the truth of God and to turn to him. So that's why we read it. That's why you need to understand it. And that's why you need to tell people about it. The whole purpose is the hope of Jesus Christ and the offering of heaven that he gives to us to save us from the depths of hell. If you want to know more, please email me, angrypatriot42 at yahoo.com. I will personally respond. Those of you that emailed me, you know that. Thank you for your support, for listening. Thank you for emailing me. Thank you for praying for me and my family. And also thank you very much to a couple of you that have actually clicked on the support this podcast and have donated to me. I appreciate that. That helps a lot. I've been able to print business cards just because of that. And someday I hope to get a camera and a website. Uh, So please, if you have it in your heart to support me, I would really appreciate that. And that's all I've got. So thank you. I hope you've enjoyed Revelation and I hope you've learned a lot. Until next time, may God bless you all.